Talking about race isn't always easy, which is why Bruce and I couldn't cover what was on our minds in just one session. We know that bridging America's racial divide is going to require concrete policies to address the ongoing legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, but it also requires each of us in our workplaces, in our politics, in our place of worship, and in a million daily interactions to make more of an effort to understand each other's realities, not to mention our own unspoken attitudes. As a lot of us have learned, whether from a childhood like mine of growing up different or a lifetime partnership like Bruce had with the big man, Clarence Clements, whether from the great old protest songs or the new kinds of protest movements across the country, that kind of reckoning can be uncomfortable, even, or maybe especially, when it's with the people we love. We talked about racial tension and freehold, but when you start what becomes the E Street Band. Right. This was a integrated band. How intentional was that? Or was it a matter of just, man, I'm trying to get the best musicians I can. This is the sound I want. The integrated aspect in the E Street Band obviously was when I saw Clarence. Clarence was just great. You know, he just had a sound that raised the roof. He was just one of the greatest sounding sax players I, I'd ever heard. Was he older than you? Yeah, Clarence was about eight years older than I was. Okay, so he's he's already, he's well into his 20s. Yeah, he's... He's been he, around, he's, he's seen some things. Well, he was a, uh, he almost went into pro football. And he'd been to college, and he'd had some experiences already, and ended up somehow an itinerant sax player on the edges of Asbury Park playing in the black clubs at the time. You know, and... Uh, Walked into the club one night, walked up on stage, stood to my right, and started playing. And I said, there's something about him and I together. You know, we struck up a friendship, started to play with the band, and people started to come and respond. And eventually the band developer, it was for a year or two into, into it being the three white guys and three black guys. Right. And that was around 74, I think. And Which nobody would know to know, by the way. And I mean, I, I don't know. No. And I didn't know that because, look, I, I hate to date yeah. your brother, but born to get run, I was still... You were a child. I was in high school. <laughs> so, so I didn't know uh, that, that, you know, you've got half black, half white band. Like, I knew the average white band was all white. Well, those are some Scottish guys. Good. And those guys could jam, by the way. Yes, they could. Loved them. Loved them. <laughs> They're outstanding. You knew Earth, Wind, and Fire were all black guys. But part of the reason that I wouldn't have necessarily known that is not only did you not have, obviously, the internet and video, but music was still pretty, it was categorized. Very much. And we had a primarily white audience. Right. And and, and Clarence isn't on the cover of Time Magazine, right? So it's 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 Bruce Springsteen looking all with his curly hair looking cute, you know, with his, his bandana and all that. 
you know, how was the power balance inside the band? Because I'm assuming every team, any group has some dynamics. And Clarence, on the one hand, is very, he's a, an iconic figure in the E Street Band, but he's also still a side man and you are still the front man. You know, I, I always used to talk about how I did notice early on when black folks did start appearing in, in you know, bigger roles, they were still always like the second guy, right? It's a funny thing because it was a dynamic that both, it both happened naturally and we contrived together at some point, you know, Clarence and I. And there was a moment when, hey, see, you know, tomorrow night when I go to the front of the stage and I play this up, come on up with me and play it next to me. And we took those steps the next night. It's like and, a buddy movie on yeah. stage. And the crowd went crazy. There was an idealism in our partnership where I always felt our audience looked at us and saw the America that they wanted wanted to see and wanted to believe in. And this became the biggest story I ever told. I've never written a song that told a bigger story then Clarence and I standing next next to each other on any of the thousand and one nights that, that we played. He lent his power to my story and the, like I said, the story that we told together, which was about the distance between the American dream and the American reality. But part of what you're describing also though is he provided something to you personally and to the band that helped capture what would end up being your sound your uh, spirit yeah but what you're also saying though is is that at some level look uh, here's an older black man who's been hustling out there for a long time yeah he, he's, he's, got, he's, got a, he's got to hook up with a young white teen. An old skinny white kid. Who yeah. is less experienced than him. Now, it works out beautifully for both of you. Yeah. But, you know, there's also complications, right, to that whole relationship. And, and I don't know if you guys ever talked about it. Yeah, to give a little more than I had to give in the sense that once the keyboardist and drummer left... It left Clarence as the, he was the only black man in the room a lot of times. You know, uh, being in the band, you know, you see very few black people in the shows, you know, and I look for it, you know, but he's not being marketed that way, and so very few black people get just to hear uh, I don't know where He had to swim in white culture for most of his work life. Right. You know? I actually wrote about this in my first book. Those friends of mine that I was talking about who had been friends of mine at school, they're you know, white, Hawaiian, Filipino. I'm making friends with these older black kids who were taking me to parties on the base. And I, I tell the story about inviting those guys along. And we get out to the party. And I look over at those guys, and they are cool, but they are also 
experiencing for the first time in their lives what I have to go through a bunch. Yeah. Where they're the only white guys in the room. Or non-black guys in the room, right? This happened to us on the Ivory Coast. Yeah. <laughs> we went, and I was doing the Amnesty International tour, and we came out to a stadium of entirely black faces. And we stand there for a moment, and Clarence comes over and he says, well, now you know how it feels. Did <laughs> <laughs> you say that? Yeah. How'd the concert go? And we started to play. And it was about 60 seconds of everybody just kind of staring into each other's eyes. And then the place exploded. <laughs> exploded. It was simply the most generous audience we've ever played in front of to this day. But Clarence said it, it, it was difficult for him and it was painful for him at, at different times. And we did talk about it usually on, on evenings when for some reason or another we were reminded of it. You Such know? as? Um, well, Clarence and I went out one evening to a local club, a friend of his. I was watching the band, and the next thing I see Clarence is at the front door, and there's a scuffle going on. Up and and uh, Clarence has got a couple of guys pinned down, and the owner has got a, a guy pinned down, and everybody breaks apart. And the owner obviously throws them out on the way out. One of the guys says the N word, you know. Um, it was funny, you know, Clarence, he had been around. He was a pretty worldly guy, but disappears. And I go out in the parking lot looking for him because I, I don't know where these other guys have gone. I don't know where he might have gone. And he was just standing on near the hood of a car, just, and he looked at me. I remember he always said, Brucey, why did you say that? I play football with those guys every Sunday. <laughs>